welcome. This is Core Conversations Episode 1, where we hold conversations about race, equity, and disparity within healthcare and academia. This podcast was created by the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Student Committee at the University of Florida Doctor of Physical Therapy Program, but the opinions are ours alone and do not represent the opinions of the university. This episode is covering personal perspectives from our DPT cohort. Today, we have Justice Norman, Ali Marcy, and myself, Monique DeVoe, all second-year students at US DPT program. So I just wanted to give you guys a little background on the history of the committee. So it all started back in June uh, with Justice's letter, which we'll talk about later in the episode, which jump-started the Chronic Black Pain panel and acted as a catalyst for these conversations within our program. The development of this committee is a result of his words directed to the department. The mission statement that we created as a committee goes as follows. We, the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee, are committed to initiating and fostering conversations about diversity in healthcare and academia by identifying the diverse issues in our community and having discussions to gain a better understanding of different perspectives and promoting an inclusive environment for all. So I'm going to kick it off first. Um, so again, my name is Monique. I'm originally from Orlando, Florida. I'm here today because of justice. Uh, prior to releasing his letter to the public, justice reached out to me. I ran the events leading to George Floyd's death just to check in on me. And his inclusion stunned me because I'd never been included in conversation regarding my race. Um, I'm a woman composed of many different ethnicities and races. And oftentimes I'm not perceived to belong to any one of those groups because I don't look any one way. So with that being said, um, you can see why being asked how I felt took me by surprise. And during that time, I wrote something around June 7th um, just to gather my thoughts about why I was feeling the way I was. And so this piece that I'm about to read out to you guys is something that I felt uh, during this program and throughout my life. Um, so it's called, You May Not Have Noticed. You may not have noticed me, but I noticed you, all of you. I noticed all of you the minute I was accepted into the program. I noticed the ubiquitous nature of the Facebook group while unconsciously trying to find someone who looks like me. I noticed my, in myself thinking I was just the token color girl. Why else would I have been chosen to attend a top 10 DPT school? You may not have noticed, but being the only person in the room that looks like you is intimidating. And that having just one person that does means the world. And if not anything else, you at least know you have something in common. You hope that the room waits to judge you based off what you say rather than what the color of your skin does. You mirror your interactions to theirs to combat any preconceived notions they may have developed just by looking at you. However, you may not have noticed that that is what I felt like during orientation. You may not have noticed, but I keep my hair up in a bun with a twist every day, mostly because it's the only way I know how to contain my hair, but partly because I want it to look presentable. I fantasize the idea of a messy bun, but I am battled of the thought of looking unkept. You see, when a person with kink in their hair has to tame it, it takes more time to subdue it, no matter what race they are. The difference is when that person with kink in their hair is colored, it means all the more to get that last strand to lay flat. And if just one hair is out of line or if one side is uneven, it gets redone because there's no threshold of looking chic, only careless or presentable. But you may not have noticed the thought that goes into that. You may not have noticed but when I pass someone in a hallway or a while outside, I make eye contact with them and smile. Not because it's the polite thing to do, but because I want to initiate that unspoken conversation. If I don't initiate that gesture, I can be seen as rude and callous. But if I flicker my eyes up at the person and smile, even if they don't reciprocate, I know I tried. Oftentimes, I'm not in any mood to strike up a conversation with a stranger, but I want it to make it known that I am welcoming that I am no threat, but you may not have noticed that can be seen as threatening to some people. It's not easy, but it's the only way I know. I want you to notice your privilege 
to know this comes with power, the power that only those with lighter complexions can relish in. Use this to your advantage to elevate others, to speak up against those who are speaking down. Today, this disparity amidst justice, healthcare, and academia needs to end. So be the change you want to see. So that's the end of my piece that I wrote. Um, that was beautiful. And thank you. And so my mission for being part of this is I, I'm here because I belong here and I want to be an advocate for those who feel they do not have a voice in these matters like I have previously felt. That was awesome, Monique. Thank you for sharing that. I think it was really powerful and especially some of the stuff that you said toward the end about trying to take advantage of privilege that you might have and using it to elevate other people. And I think that speaks a lot into why I wanted to join the program. So for those of you listening at home, my name is Allie Marcy, as Monique introduced me before. I'm also a second year student here. And um, for those of you who can't see me, I navigate all of these spaces as a white female with a lot of privilege. And I feel like I've always kind of been aware of that privilege. And kind of the most obvious example of that is that my earliest memories regarding conversations about race and racism were learning about it. I learned about it on the news or hear, heard about it secondhand, but I never, I never experienced it firsthand. I, you know, that in and of itself is a privilege that I can acknowledge. Um, but I've always enjoyed engaging in a lot of these conversations and that's why I've always wanted to be a part of something like this. Um, I remember growing up in Florida, a lot of us can remember when we were in middle school that Trayvon Martin was killed and it felt like such a weird thing that we were taught in school that racism was like a blemish in our past and not a continuing pervasive problem. And then outside of the classroom doors, there was something like that that was happening. A young boy was killed. So it, you know, it's obviously something that's not taught the way that it's really experienced. Um, and another thing that kind of first shaped my understanding and my perspectives maybe a little bit about dealing with racism well was when I was younger my mom took me to see an off-Broadway musical called Avenue Q which probably nobody really has heard of but there's a song in it called everyone's a little bit racist and the gist is basically what the title said it's obviously not okay to be racist or to commit hate crimes but every person has probably been prejudiced against someone else at one time or another and kind of the best way for us to confront that is dropping the you know holier than thou act and just acknowledging that we can all be biased and even racist sometimes so i think maybe growing up with one of that as one of my formative experiences and perspectives makes me feel a little bit more comfortable trying to have some of these conversations and engage in them more comfortable than some of the people in my own family would be um mm -hmm. None of that's to say that I'm, you know, not anxious. I'm a little bit anxious to be on the podcast and worry about saying the wrong thing, of course. But I think letting a lot of that fear or anxiety about saying the wrong things will keep you out of engaging in discussions and then, you know, keeps you from learning anything and keeps you from improving. So basically, I, you know, all this to say I wanted to be a part of this committee with you all to regularly talk about these conversations with people from different perspectives from my own. And I do want to point out, first of all, that, you know, none of this should fall on our black and brown friends to teach us, you know, if, if we have the resources, which we do, to seek out information, we should take that upon ourselves. And ideally, it should never have been on justice's shoulder to really address this issue within our program first. But, you know, none, nothing was really happening. We didn't see any moves being made in the face of yet another string of senseless tragedies affecting the black community until justice did post that letter in early June. And I can own too that I never, I didn't step up. I didn't reach out to you justice or to you Monique personally. Um, you know, I did what many people in my generation do. I read things online. I shared and donated campaigns online on my social media and things, but I didn't reach out personally to you guys. Um, part of that's me because I didn't know how to start the conversation. That's not an excuse. So, you know, I think doing all of that outside of my identity as a student was clearly not leaving anything for you guys to feel supported or heard by your classmates. So, you know, around the same time that Justice sent his letter, I reached out to our program director and we were able to get this committee together to host the Chronic Black Pain webinar. So, you know, all this to say, I think in a lot of ways, I'm still learning too about how 
I can speak up and stand um, up for my peers and then also when it's time for me to step back. So hopefully that's that's kind of what I'm hoping to get from and you know learn about during this entire experience with you guys. Thanks for sharing, Ali. I think it's really important that we have, you know, people like you to come and represent and it takes a lot of courage to talk about this. Um, like I said, I, I'm I'm learning too. I I didn't belong to any certain group, so I didn't feel included to many conversations. So I think it's important that we just come together to learn and, you know, ask questions, be respectful, but I think that's the whole point of this. So again, thank you for coming on and uh, expressing your opinions. Yeah, thank you. Monique, I definitely agree with what you just said. And I wanna go back to what you originally said, like your, your story or your letter, whatever you wrote was like really powerful. And we definitely have shared experiences with feeling like a statistic and some of the other things you said as well, like feeling unkept and all these other things. So I definitely hope we can get back to some of those conversations because that's, that was definitely um, really brave. Um, Ali, same thing with you. Like, I think you just being on this podcast is, is really courageous, really brave, just because you are in a, a different position than me and Monique. And I think that you being here is just really important for a lot of our possible viewers, listeners. Because um, a lot of them probably are white and they are wondering, they are feeling a lot of things that you're feeling. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, I guess I'll introduce myself now. Um, I'm Justice or Justice Norman. Follow me, Justice the Jumper. Um, but I was born in Texas and I only lived there for a short time, but so I feel like I'm from the North. I, was, I lived in PA in Jersey most of my life. Um, I feel like the North kind of shaped me. I could I could tell like when I moved down here that I wasn't I wasn't Southern as I thought I was. And uh, I just want to start off with like a small quote from Malcolm X. Um, I feel like it really embodies like the reason why I'm here. So he says, I'm neither a fanatic nor a dreamer. I'm a black man who loves peace, justice, and loves his people. And it's really that simple for me. So like I used to battle like, why am I doing this? Why am I gonna be on this podcast? Like I didn't, I felt like I was maybe being like that black token or just trying to educate white people on these issues that we all face, especially black people. So I don't really feel that way. I feel like I'm, that black voices need to be heard, especially right now. So I'm not an expert in a lot of these things that I'm gonna say, they're definitely an opinion. Um, I definitely go on tangents a lot, so just try to stick with me and hopefully it makes sense in the end. And I think that all these things are just things that need to be talked about. So, um, like they said earlier, I definitely wrote a letter during this summer. So summer of 2020, I'm sure it's gonna go into textbooks. Um, so to give you a little context, um, COVID hit late March. We're on Zoom University and basically COVID happened and a lot of other things started happening. So I know the first thing for me that I started, I started to get these feelings that I felt in my past, like Ali said, like Trayvon Martin, like I've, I've experienced a lot of Trayvon Martins, I feel like since Trayvon Martin. So I think it was Ahmad, Ahmad Aubrey was like one of the first ones that hit and it was definitely tragic because we seen it, it was on camera. And, you know, I'm kind of like reliving these experiences as I speak. So like, that was something that was definitely hurtful for me. And I know it was really hurtful for a lot of people that look like me. Um, to give you also a little more context, like I am one of the only black students in my entire cohort. Like I'm one of the only black students in this program. I'm one of the only black people in this program. That's students, faculty, and staff. There's a few of us and there's, there's hopes that there's gonna be more in the future, but at the end of the day, it's a very low percentage, probably under 5%, definitely under 5%. So I come from a place where I'm, I was surrounded by diversity and surrounded by black people, white people and everything in between. So um, there was just this continued, there, I was felt like I was by myself. Let me say it like that. I felt like all these things were happening, but 
nobody was talking about it. And I wasn't sure if it was just because of COVID and like, I wasn't like around my friends or I wasn't, I just wasn't sure. So things were happening. People were getting riled up. Um, you could just see it online. You could see that everybody was inside, but now everybody's coming outside to start protesting. And then George Floyd happened. And that was definitely another big traumatic hit for, I feel like, my community. I feel like it should have been a traumatic hit for everybody. Like, we saw it in front of our face. Everybody saw this man die for eight minutes. And then, so, you know, I'm still a PT student, so I'm getting ready to take, I think, a farm test, and I just can't focus. Like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't study the flashcards. I can't make the Quizlet. I can't even ask my friends about how they're studying because, like, it's so... I can't talk to anybody about anything else. So I decided to write a letter because I felt like after a while, I was just surrounded by white silence. So I'm going to read this letter for you guys real quick, hopefully. So it starts with an excerpt from uh, the Student National Medical Association of at Temple University. So they wrote, we want to honor the lives of George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, Tony McDade, and the many other Black lives that have been lost as a result of extrajudicious judicial killings. These people were all victims of an unjust racist system that allows white supremacy and police brutality to go unchecked, a system that has been shown to value protecting murderers more than Black bodies time and time again. As an organization, we want to highlight the historical importance of many different forms of protest and the power of coming together to stand in direct opposition to racial injustice. To refocus your complete attention to the violence of protests is to not acknowledge the pain, suffering, and a sense of hopelessness of a people who continue to go unheard. Although we can never bring back the lives lost, it is important that we as people, that we as a people and a nation use our voice to unequivocally deny all forms of racism and work towards true equity in our society. So that was their part. And I definitely just wanna like re-highlight that at this point in time, there's a lot of protests happening in the country. And in my position, I see these protests and it's not the first time I've seen protests like this, but it's definitely the largest of my generation, I feel like. And only thing I hear in Florida is the violence associated with the protests. Mm -hmm. It was called riots everywhere. You know what I'm saying? So like it was, and then I started getting, I will get, we'll get into that later, but all right. So now I'm going to read you uh, the rest of my letter. That was um, my words. So I say, I write this to the UF DPT program, including all faculty, staff, and students, because as a program, the silence is not surprising and has not gone unheard. This is my reply to the silence as a member of this program. Today, I am using my voice in a manner that I don't particularly align with. I am talking to a majority of highly educated white people about racism. I want to state that this, is, this isn't the responsibility of a sole black man to initiate a conversation like this, especially when the entire world is discussing it. However, I cannot let another day go by and listen to the white silence as a program. My goals from this are to get everyone who reads this message to reflect on their own racial bias, For instance, overt racism, which includes hate crimes, racial slurs, the N-word, and the socially unacceptable things, but also to reflect on the covert racism, which may be even more important for this audience. This includes, but is nowhere near limited to white silence, color blindness, all lives matter, and healthcare issues. So I want to encourage you all to use your privilege to make a stand against racism police brutality, and many other injustices that Black people face. Begin or continue to have these conversations with friends, family, and colleagues. Again, take some time to ask yourself, how are you perpetrating and supporting a structural racism? Supporting structural racism. If you truly want to see change, silence is not the answer. If you truly want to be great clinicians, you need to actively fight against healthcare inequities. Ignorance is not an excuse for clinicians or future clinicians. I then begin to list a few resources that they can use. Um, And then at the very end, I conclude 
I hope this message is received with openness. I hope that if people are upset or uncomfortable, that they don't run to disbelieving defensiveness, which I call white fragility. I'm unsure of the feelings of this particular program because of the silence, but at least you are aware of mine. So that was a letter I wrote and I really haven't read it recently, but it definitely brings back that time that we were all were in, so. Justice, do you remember what it felt like when you hit post and you sent oh, it? Yeah. So like I sent it in our, I think I sent it to the professors really quick first and then I sent it to our group me. So it's a group me with like all of everybody in our class, all 72 students. Um, and I think I put it in the more, we have like two group me's, one that's unofficial, one's official. I threw it in the official one because I wanted everybody to see this. Like I wanted everybody really? to know what I was feeling. So um, yeah, I pressed send and then I turned my phone off. Mm -hmm. uh, I got ready to get ready for my flight. I was going back to Philly just because I was like, I wanted to be around my people, people that felt what was happening. So yeah, yeah I had a flight and yep. I think the major themes that like stick out to me based on everything that both you guys have said so far and even conversations we've had, but just that feeling of isolation. Mm -hmm. Monique, you talking about feeling like you have to perfect things before you even leave your house so that you don't have to deal with it. You don't have to deal with the judgment. You don't have to deal with feeling isolated. And then Justice, you talked about you felt like you needed to go states away just to feel like you had a community around you, even though you had already spent a year here at this program, you know, and I think that that was something that was really unfortunate that it needed to be said, but so powerful when you said it. And I think it really did. I mean, it sounds cliche, but I think it did open some eyes. It's, you know, it is a little bit of like a sting to be like, oh, that opened up eyes. Like you have to know it personally for it to open up eyes. And I get that, but yeah, I think it was necessary. It was such a needed catalyst for all of these conversations to happen. Yeah, I I remember that night. I was I think we're in, I think we were my roommates and I were studying pharmacology uh, when Justice posted it, and my roommate was like, "Did you see what he posted?" I was like, "No," and so I open it and I just like, I don't think I've ever read something so fast because I <laughs> it just captured me and especially the. Uh, I write this um, to you at the program because as a program, the silence is not surprising and has not gone unheard. This is my reply to that, the silence. Like, it's so true. Mm -hmm. And I was part of that silence. And uh, Justice had just reached out to me like a couple of days prior to that. And so it was just, that was just such a monumental step into what's been happening. And uh, for those who are not part of the program, this has been such a pivotal point and almost every meeting we have with the faculty, it's brought up because it has been so impactful. And just recently, our, our one of our professors incorporated this into her curriculum and the, the first year class uh, discussed this. So it, this truly has been like uh, breaking some, mm -hmm. some boundaries um, and created a new path for UFDPT. And I hope it continues to, um, so yeah. Well, thank you, Justice, for creating this for us. Yeah, it was, honestly, it was, uh, it was just a, it was a step that I felt like I just had to take. Yeah. Like, I, I wrote all my feelings down in the letter, for the most part, like, it was, that's how I truly felt, and it's true, like, I felt like this, before this was happening, I definitely felt like this I always knew how to navigate white spaces, right? But there was still a sense of community that I felt like I was building with this program. Like we've had, we spend every day together, like sometimes 12 hour days, seven to seven. We did things like we dissected bodies. We talked about diseases. We've seen life. We just, we discovered so many different things together and I know how much racism and everything that stems from that has affected my life. So to be in this position at this time and to just not have anybody feeling what I'm feeling was just, it felt odd. But then I realized, I was like, this isn't odd. This is very familiar to me. 
I've been around this before. I've, I've always navigated white spaces, whether it was, I went from going to a majority black school in middle school to going to a school with only 3% black people in the high school. So I, I knew what this felt like before. And like a lot of times this was just an example. This was just me learning and processing it like basically live. Like I was just like, why am I feeling this way? Like, who can I talk to about this? And then I wrote this letter and there has been a lot of things that have come from this. And I hope that we can continue to make these changes. So we'll get into the changes eventually, like of what we're doing, but, but yeah. Yeah. But it, it's still like just reading it still brings back like all those memories that you know that came along with it initially so it's it's just crazy like how far we've come but how much further we need to go um so yeah and honestly like the immediate reaction was crazy like i i turned my phone off but at the end of the day you know we can't stay off our phone so right I'm like i'm looking at a few things like i'm just like seeing like oh dang like emails blowing up like I see professors and I'm like, oh, let me not start, let me not start. But I see professors and eventually a few days pass, like I, I start going through them one by one so I can like truly acknowledge some of these people's feelings. And um, not to go into details, but it, it was crazy to see some of these people's testimonies, um, some of these professors and students and friends. Um, I could tell it took a lot of people by shock and then a lot of people were really disappointed in themselves. And it was, that's another reason why, like, I'm here on this podcast, because mm -hmm. the goal wasn't for me to educate anybody on racism. It's not, the, that's not my, my goal. My goal was really to spark what I feel like should have been already established in a lot of, every, in the program and, and in the individuals. So I had haven't reached out to a lot of the people that I talked to that wrote me back because I said what I needed to say like it, it was said um but at the same time like there are people that still need to have this conversation that things I know it might not be as hot right now because you know Trump's out of office and everybody feels like a new wave is coming in and things like that but that's not the case this is this has been around for hundreds of years and it will continue to be around for many years until we finish the job. Like Kobe said, job's not finished. I love that saying, job's not finished. I think something you said earlier was so true about how, or maybe it was in a different conversation, but about how what seems to happen is, you know, we have these major news stories. We have something, something that, by the way, is happening all the time in all these different neighborhoods, but one time it gets caught on camera, right? And then it, blows up and finally people are, you know, protesting and trying to get some justice for the family. But, you know, a couple weeks go by and it's like the whole fervor dies down and we're just, okay, so like what, we're just, we're done with that now. We're going to wait till the next one. That seems like we're not making any progress. So I think why this was such a big pivotal moment, at least for me was, so obviously same as you, Justice, in a much different way, but like obviously I navigate white spaces all the time, pretty much entirety of my life, but I don't re register that I'm navigating a white space because it's just how all my spaces look, right? And so kind of why I brought up Trayvon Martin in the first place is because that was the first time that I realized like we could see something that's like, to me, as equally violent as like war crimes happening in the streets of America and then go to school the next day and learn about algebra and like nobody talks about it. Like it feels so strange that there's a dichotomy there's separate lives and so i think this was such a pivotal moment and so necessary because you brought the conversation in and you were like honest with people this isn't acceptable it's not surprising but it's not acceptable that we're not talking about this here and i think that that was so necessary and like monique pointed out even now it's already being a little bit incorporated into curriculum and students are talking about it as you know something that's integral to our program to our curriculum and to our coursework so now hopefully we will be producing students that have at least a little bit of a deeper understanding than before they came in here um, you know and bringing it into the classroom 
is kind of, I think, integral to like making a statement as a program, like, or as a group of people, we need it to be in like a part of our culture. Like we're going to talk about this in these spaces. We're not going to let people deal with this alone, which clearly you guys had had to do all summer while, while the strings of killings were happening. And probably every time that it's happened your whole life, you're kind of left to deal with it on your own and not having it brought up in front of your friends or in front of your classmates. It's isolating. I can't imagine navigating school and grad school and all the stresses of that while also dealing with this on the side. So. Definitely. And honestly, this, it's, it's crazy to me. It's to this day, it's still crazy to me that it takes the life of a, of a black person. It takes the murder of black people for people to realize what racism is. And like at the end of the day, like, how does this relate to PT? Like, I hope, I hope, I don't want to tell anybody the answer, but like, I hope the letter showed you. I hope that you can maybe see it for yourselves that every system that we basically have established in America is racist. In healthcare, police, education, it's everywhere. And you should, whatever part of life that you can acknowledge it and try to understand it, you should. You should, you should, especially if you're white, you should definitely try to understand it and figure out if you're actually perpetuating racism. Like it's, I think it's definitely a necessary, it's a necessary thing to do. It's not fun. I mean, I'm on the other side of it. So like, believe me, that's not fun either. Mm-hmm. but that's that's my life so that's what that's that's not my life I take that back <laughs> that is life like that's mm-hmm. it's what I've had to go through my entire life and at the end of the day that's not necessarily going to change so mm-hmm. yeah I don't know I think I think too I wonder with so obviously as a white woman I wonder if like my family members who are white and my peers and the people who I I love but I know aren't perfect, you know, I kind of wonder like, how do we kind of get a message through that it's not like keeping it hush hush that we've all, that I personally benefit from racist systems doesn't make it not true. Just if I don't acknowledge it doesn't mean that I'm not still benefiting from privilege. So I don't think that, I think a lot of people have a tendency to kind of like reject that and act like racism is a part of the past because they don't want to accept that they do just naturally have a leg up in a lot of ways. Um, I have no, I feel like that takes nothing away to say I was born with so much more privilege just by the fact, like, it's just, it's just a fact of life. And I don't think that, I don't think that it would ever be okay to say that I I'm not going to talk about these things and I'm not going to acknowledge them because my comfort level and my own, like, I don't know, just being more comfortable to me is more important than your experiences as a human being. Like it's going to be uncomfortable to talk about. It's going to suck when you look at the world and you kind of realize that it's so pervasive and it's everywhere and you didn't realize that until now. And yeah, I think maybe a little bit people reach out to you after your letter and felt like they let you down. I know I felt like I let you guys down, not saying it, not, not just, you know, sending a simple text wouldn't have done anything, but I could have at least showed some support, you know, it wouldn't have fixed things for you, but you maybe wouldn't have felt as isolated. Um, but there are, I, I'm not proud of it, but there've been so many instances where I've felt uncomfortable because I didn't know what to say. And I think in those instances, not proud of it, but I, I've definitely chosen to not make myself uncomfortable and not say things sometimes. And that's like the ugly truth of it. It's so easy. It's, it's so easy to, to not be uncomfortable. And like that, I don't know why we are, we just, everybody choose comfort. Every, nobody wants to get out of their comfort zone. But that's why it's important we have these uncomfortable conversations and kind of end that superficial engagement um, of just, you know, talking or posting stuff on Instagram or, you know, mm-hmm just not addressing it with the actual people in your life that are affected by it. So I think it's, it's just so important that, you know, we have these uncomfortable conversations and 
really push the boundary on how to move forward um, and just how to treat people. Yeah, so Ali, you said something that makes me think. So um, you say like you were disappointed that you didn't do something. Um, and I honestly like, it's hard for me to, to put myself in that position because like when these things happen and I talk, me and my friends are talking about it or we sharing stuff on Instagram or Twitter or something like that, like it's a shared experience. So like, it's not, I don't have to, I'm not like saying like, bro, I'm sorry that this happened necessarily. Like how do you, I'm not really sure what this looks like, but how do you think you would approach maybe one of your friends of color or something, if something happens and you know that it's impacting them? So, so in the past couple of weeks, something that I've been trying to learn more about and figure out. So I have a really, really close friend, Bria, who um, has been so gracious in helping me navigate some of these things. Sometimes she's um, mixed, she's um, half black. And so I think she also probably would resonate a lot with some of the identity issues you talked about Monique, but I, have such a close relationship with her that I have felt comfortable asking her like for advice in general. I don't feel comfortable like coming to you justice or you Monique when I have not showed any sort of support and been like, Hey, teach me things. Like it's your burden now. Teach me what I need to do as a white person. So because I had that close relationship, I did try to have some conversations with her and really I felt like, I felt like I was being the most supportive when I just, louder to just talk to me and I was just like hey I I'm just checking in like sometimes I didn't even have to say what was going on she knows she knows what's going on she knows how she feels all I had to do was just open the door to have the conversation because I think I don't know if this has anything to do I you know I can't speak to any of her perspective at all and I'm not speaking for her but I imagine that you feel like you're like maybe you a little bit feel like you're bothering your friends to talk about something that they don't seem to want to bring up with you. And so I felt like maybe the best thing that I was able to do and the only way that I was able to be supportive was when I was just like, hey, how are you doing? Just, just tell me what's going on for you. Like, I can't fix anything. I just want to talk to you. I just miss you and I hope that you're okay. So I feel like that's really all I was, all I've been able to do. And I am open to suggestion if you think that that's, um helpful or not so honestly like it was a question because I don't know like I yeah I don't necessarily know what it looks like for when there's like a shared experience as, when something happens like like a George Floyd happens and how white people feel like they should navigate that space like I don't know their feelings but I do think that support looks different for every one of your friends so like it's just it's an individual thing like for sure my friends that are black like it's always an individual thing no black no two black people are the same just like no two white people are the same um but honestly like just real quick going back to the letter like it wasn't really even about the individuals mm -hmm. it was mainly like the program like I was coming at the program the institution I was coming I was coming for them mainly because I see the positions that they take on certain things already like I see how they, I see how much we learned about the opioid epidemic and what PT can do for that. And I feel like that affects all groups of people. Mm -hmm. And I feel like an issue that was specifically targeting black people was not getting brought up because maybe because it didn't affect them. So like I was trying to make that known. So I think that looks a little bit different than maybe what an individual, like what you would say to your friend. I know some universities, like they make statements and then they try to make change. They, they do certain things for communities. They educate themselves. They, they do things just like, I feel like UFDBT is starting to do things like that's how you create change. And that was the goal. But yeah. Yeah, just to speak a little bit, Ali, on like how you can like support some of your your friends. Like, I have an experience um, back when this all happened. 
I reached out to one of my friends from high school. She's one of my really good friends um, from childhood and she's black and um, there's a big group of us, but she's one of them that is just solely black. And I was just like, how are you doing? And we had never even growing up, like our moms used to walk together when they were pregnant with us. Like we just, we never talked about it. Like we never talked about race. I know that she's faced, um, microaggressions and stuff like even in high school people would just make fun of her call her names um she just brushed it off but like when we finally spoke this was over the summer we spoke and it was just i had never connected with her on that level before and it was just so weird that we had never spoken about it um because she never faced that many but she faced more than she should have nobody should ever have to face that like point blank but it was just neat to to kind of have that open that type of relationship that we had never had before. Um, so I think just speaking out, just reaching out to them, checking in, um, and they'll go into depth as much as they want. Um, but I think just showing that again, like you're there just for support is pretty much what you can provide them. Yeah. Something that I've also tried to employ and I go back and forth constantly and I, day to day don't always feel the same way but because our generation uses so much social media and we're you know consuming so much information online another way that i've felt that i am maybe showing support and it's kind of like it's like mm, well, i don't know if it's really showing support because i'm just putting it out there to the ether it's not like any one person can see this but i do try to at least represent myself online the same way that i would carry myself in person to an extent and so that what that means is like, if I'm coming across a news article about, you know, police brutality, if I'm coming across a news article about um, healthcare disparities or whatever, and I think that it's, you know, an issue that needs to be known about, I try to share those things. I try to um, stay up to date on that. I hope that that is something, you know, obviously I do that in the sense of like, I'm sitting at home hoping that like, well, you know, hopefully my friends know where my heart's at. But then again, it's like, then the next day I wake up and I was like, what did that do for them? Nothing. Did that make me feel better about myself? Is that the only thing that I gained out of this? Then I shouldn't mm -hmm. be doing it. You know, so it is, I, I to, you know, I'll go back and forth day on, uh, day in and day out about what's the right thing to do. But yeah, I think it is, at least in my limited experience, it is different for everybody. You know, some people, they want to just be heard and some people, they they appreciate when you reach out to them, but they don't want to talk about it with you. And that's another thing too, is like, gotta get yeah, that's okay. Space. That's, that's okay. I don't mean to cut yeah. you off, but like, definitely okay. If you reach out to somebody and they don't want to talk about it. It's some, it's sometimes it's like a loss. So like when mm -hmm. somebody loses someone, you reach out and you don't just say like, well, you can say whatever you want to say, but if they don't want to talk about it right now, maybe that's what's best for them. And that's the important part. Um, but you showed that you were there and you showed your support. I want to bring something up. So like, I definitely, we all were on social media during this time. And like, just like the white silence in UFVPT, there was definitely our white friends that were very silent on these issues. And not to say that their silence was the, because they were supporting the, let's call it the opposition. Right. But that it could definitely look like that. And especially when you know they post a lot mm -hmm. and they're not posting anything. And I think personally, like what I saw, I think it was, a lot, it was because it was about the police and people have certain ideas of police and police brutality. Mm -hmm. And the people that I really noticed that didn't post or said certain things, they gave me, and actually I'm, I'm gonna say it like this, have you so being in Gainesville a lot? I see Blue Lives Matter a lot, and it yeah, reminds me how I first stuff. yeah it reminds me how I first saw like All Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. That was like a protest of a protest, mm -hmm. and I don't know if people get it, but it's the same thing. Like it's truly the same thing, and it's a very it's very controversial, and I definitely have my opinions on it, but it's. It's, it's at the point now, like, what do you, Ali, what do you do with those people? Do you think those people are overtly racist? Like, um, overtly, it's hard to say. Um, 
but I think what they're what they're doing is a little bit copying out and throwing their hands up, <laughs> pun intended, copying out, but throwing their hands up and saying, I'm not involved. I'm not going to post anything. And I don't think that they realize that's a stance. You know, it's really easy to say, I want to stay out of things and I want to not be involved. But I think when it really comes down to, first of all, um, you know, you're a healthcare worker, but you're a human being and it's a social justice issue. And it's, you know, the string of deaths, how quickly they happen, not that that would even matter, but it's the issue is knocking at everybody's door. And if you decide to shut the door to it, that is, a, to me, a stance. You're not speaking out. You're not saying anything, which means you're okay if it just keeps going on the way that it's going on. You, you don't care if things change. I think, I think that's a statement. I don't think people think of it when they're doing that. I don't think they maybe even realize that they're making a statement or that other right. people are going to take it that way, unfortunately. But to me, it's a statement to say, I'm okay with the status quo. It doesn't affect my life. And I don't care about things that don't affect my life. Maybe that's a big stretch and maybe I'm taking it too far, but that's to me the message that I, I get. Take it as far as you want. I <laughs> So <laughs> that's, you're, you're completely right. And I, I agree with you. Um, I definitely think that it's, especially right now, like we see, we see the side of it. Like we understand that there's, there's been many posts and I know everybody has different feeds, but there's been many posts and there's been, if you just listen, you would see that like silence is a, silence is a stance. And if you don't want to check your privilege then that's okay, but just understand that you are choosing a, a side, I guess, whatever you want to call it. Um, but yeah, I just want to ask you that. I just want to know your, your opinion. Absolutely. And, you know, it goes beyond just speaking up online and amongst our friends. We need to bring that same energy out into the real world. You know, there's no doubt in my mind that all of us in our program, we probably already have, but we definitely will go out on clinicals or job sites and overhear some racist comments. And, you know, choosing silence in those mo moments is a stance too. I think a lot of white people have, I know I did growing up for many years, kind of take more of a laissez-faire approach, like thinking of it more as like, oh, fighting someone else's battle, but it's not. It's about fighting the good fight. It's about doing so because it's just the right thing to do. And when Monique mentioned her friend who experiences those microaggressions and has just learned to shrug them off, that is such a common experience for BIPOC. And it's exhausting. I can't imagine how exhausting it is to not only experience the racism, the loss, the generational trauma, but also have to fight it alone. And in those moments, that's when we need our white allies and majority allies to speak up. They have to stop racism in its tracks. There's just no room for tolerance of it anymore. We've seen that generation after generation, year after year, it just leads to more violence and death. Speaking up in person can be awkward and difficult, and I'm not going to lie. When I'm in those situations, I kind of feel like my heart starts to pound and I get really nervous, but the worst thing that's going to happen for me in my experience is maybe getting into an argument. You know, I get to do the right thing and maybe they get upset at me. I mean, that's nothing compared to what happens when black and brown people speak up. They get fired from their jobs. They get ostracized and gaslighted or dismissed entirely and labeled the angry black woman or the angry black man who, quote unquote, thinks everything is racist. That's just unacceptable. You know, so it's in those moments, too. It's, it's showing up in person. You know, God forbid Justice's letter was met with more white silence. That would not have just been on the program. That would have been on our class and all of us, you know, for not rallying behind him and you, Monique, and amplifying that message to such a degree that they have to listen. So, you know, basically, if you're going to show up online, if you're going to hit up your black friends and tell them how much you love them, you support them, you have to show up for them in person when it counts too. And anything less than that is just contributing to the problem. All right, y'all. So just to wrap up a little bit, um, so what we're going to do implement on every one of our episodes is just a final question of what's good? What's good in life, Allie? What is going good? So definitely unrelated to the things we were talking about today, but I got to spend an awesome holiday with my mom and see some family, and she might even be moving up to the area a little bit closer to me in the next year. So that makes me happy. Nice. 
That's Nothing awesome. Nothing important in community right now. That's good. For sure. What's good, Justice? Ah, uh, man. Um, so I just realized we're like, what, week 15, 14, 15? Mm-hmm. Four out of eight, maybe. Oof. So that feels good. And we got one more. We got to get this finals week and then we have the holidays. But, you know, job not finished. But to feel, it feels good to be, to see the halfway point. For sure. I feel that. What's good in life for me, uh, my family's healthy. We had a nice Thanksgiving this past Thanksgiving. It was different just because of mm-hmm. what's going on with the pandemic and all. But it was nice because we kept it simple for once. And it was nice just to keep it simple and just really, I don't know, have that close knit. Usually we have big dinner parties with, you know, lots of friends and family. So it was different, but it was really nice to kind of have that. So, yeah, just to conclude, uh, so future episodes will touch on further reactions to Justice's letter and continuing conversations with other classmates and clinicians. So we linked the panel that we hosted this summer that we referenced in the beginning of the episode, the chronic black pain panel um, in the bio. It's a great conversation between the experiences of black clinicians that have uh, either graduated from or have been closely tied to the University of Florida Doctor of Physical Therapy program. So just to add a couple credits, we want to thank our production manager, Ms. Casey Jackson, for taking the time to um, edit and uh, deal with all the technical logistics of this podcast. We want to thank uh, the marketing department liaisons, Ali Marcy and Brianne Steffen, the speaker coordination and recruitment chairs, myself, Monique, and Rachel Castor, and the research coordinators, Haley Hastings, Cortland Raines, and lastly, I want to give a little shout out to the music producer, which is my dad, DJ Ricky D. <laughs> so <laughs> we just want to thank you. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. And we hope that you can tune in for the next episode. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Monique and Justice, for sharing today. Thank you. Thank you for talking.